Well, 2020 has been a pretty unusual year, hasn't it? One with huge uncertainties and things that we'd come to take for granted were no longer there, no longer available for us. Events that we had anticipated or we had got used to were no longer there or maybe just changed in such a way that they became no longer recognizable. And We were more confronted than probably any time since World War II with the, the fragility of life as well. And jobs were uncertain. Events couldn't maybe take place. Whether we could visit loved ones was not known, and so on and so on. For most, if not all of us, it was a, a time unlike any we've, we've known before, and it was also uncertain. And one of the great lessons, if we didn't know it before, is that we don't do very well with uncertainty, do we? People tend not to like that. Businesses have been complaining about uncertainty. How can they plan and how can they be ready to trade when so much is unknown and, and so on? Making plans to go here or go there or do this or do that. We're suddenly all having a huge question mark over them. There have been pandemics before. Some of them have even been a bit more brutal in, in terms of lives lost. But it's all just been so new for us, so different. And in the uncertainty, we've been made to feel vulnerable. And one point at which the Christian gospel speaks into this situation is it reminds us that we, we're not in charge of everything. We, we're not self-sufficient. We are not ever our own saviors. Humanity, yes, has achieved a great deal, but also destroyed a great deal. Humanity has made great progress, but there are other times when we wonder if we've learned even the first and most basic of lessons. And an ideal future, we have to admit, is not going to come as we keep on improving because every time we take a step forward, there seems there's another one back. We are always going to be dependent on the, our Lord and who in Jesus has stepped into our lives. Now, the passage in Philippians chapter 2, which has been our theme passage for, for this series, says at verse 9, Therefore God exalted him, exalted Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, in verses 6 to 8, the focus has been on Jesus' humiliation. Noted last week the four different steps in that eighth verse of how Jesus took the form of a man, how he humbled himself, he became obedient even to death, and then death on the cross. And then verse 9 says, therefore, therefore on the basis of this humiliation, because of this stooping, Jesus has been raised. And notice in verse 9 of Philippians 2, the past tense of exalted. Jesus has been exalted. He is lifted higher, not in the sense of being a bit better or higher than he was before, but in the sense of now he is an exalted Savior, one who has rescued humanity from sin. He has rescued us from ourselves. He's taken us out of that 
pattern where there's progress here, then regress, or progress for some and regress for others. That way of up and down mixed things that has dominated human history. The Gospels to say Jesus has come into that, verses 6 to 8, but also he's, he's taking us and leading us for a way out, a way beyond that. And that mission of Jesus is something that wasn't just suddenly sprung upon people, but something that God had been planning and preparing for. And in many parts, many places of the the Old Testament, we, we see hints of what's to come. We see anticipations and signs and, and symbols towards who Jesus is going to be and what He's going to do. And Daniel chapter 7 is, is one of the places, one of the many places where the glory of Jesus is set forth in a way that recognizes the humility that's there in verses 6 to 8 of Philippians 2 as well. Well, Daniel chapter 7, um, Daniel has a dream, and it's a pretty strange dream, and it's a prophecy given by God to help a people, Daniel's people, who are feeling that circumstances are piled up against them. That's a message that's given to a people who have lost many of life's certainties. They're in exile. Things had seemed better as Nebuchadnezzar, the king, began to follow God. But now Nebuchadnezzar had gone, and it's a different king. First year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, verse 1 of chapter 7. And he's got no interest in in God, and, and suddenly things are much worse for the people of God. And Daniel has a dream. And the blend in the chapter of vision and interpretation helps to avoid two opposite errors. One of these errors is to think that these visions, these messages like this in Scripture, is God mapping out something for years and years ahead in particular detail. The Word of God is not some kind of thing like Nostradamus's almanac, whereby there's a whole miscellaneous collections of thoughts that might apply to this or might apply to that. But yet sometimes people have gone to the Bible, particularly books like Daniel and and the book of Revelation, and tried to work out that kind of thing. But that's wrong. It's not what the Scripture is. Apart from anything else, it wouldn't be a message to the people it's given to in that particular time. And Daniel 7 is. It's to a people in exile, a people in uncertainty. Here's a word from God. The dream comes at a particular time. But that kind of just thinking that what God's doing is dropping some hints just makes him into some weird kind of hint-dropping cheap communicator. Now, the other error, that's one error, just to try and mine some particular predictions here. The other error is to suppose that the dream and things like it have got nothing to do with real life. They might, yes, be talking about a conflict between good and evil, but they're not going to talk about anything that happens here. But in fact, given the particular setting, given the words which are used, it's quite clear that Daniel means things are going to happen, things are going to take place. As I looked, verse 9, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And then on at verse 13, he looked and he saw before me one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days. He was led into His presence. Verse 14, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. You see, it reaches earth. It's earth. Daniel's not just saying that there's going to be some kind of fight continually between good and evil, and he's putting his money on good to come out on top. He's saying that there's something specifically going to bring this about. Now, the first eight verses then in Daniel chapter 7 picture the trouble that's ahead. The dream focuses on God's enemies. Regimes come and go, and the various regimes are pictured as, as beasts emerging from the sea. And, you know, it's not too strange to think of um, different nations or different empires being represented by an animal. Um, cartoonists do that all the time in our day. You know, they picture a, a cartoon bear, that's, that's Russia. They have a lion for the UK. They have an eagle for the United States and so on. And there's something the same here. These different beasts emerge out of the, the sea. They're, they're different empires that come, and they're illustrative of the general change and turbulence and flux in human society. Empires rise and empires fall. Powers come and go. Daniel, the Lord, is saying to him in his dream, it's not just one enemy that you have to worry about. It's not just one thing like communism or one thing like capitalism or one thing like something otherism. There's a constant change, a constant flux, a constant series of enemies. It's not as though the rest of human society is good, and if you can get rid of this one thing, everything will be fine. The point is that all these beasts are fearsome. So, yes, while there is good power in the world, while there's the proper use and exercise of authority, so much of human history is and has been dominated by evil and cruelty. And so, these eight verses and first eight verses of Daniel 7 are telling us not to be naive about human history. And don't be so gullible as to think that some new regime or some new ideology or some new party or some new movement is going to bring some kind of therapy that's going to sort us all out. Even the best of our systems are but provisional. All human revolutions, all human revolutions and changes, whether they come by force or come through the ballot box, are at best temporary and provisional. They produce other men and women. They don't produce new men and women. So there's a series of troubles and flux as, as things go. And then verses 9 to 14, Daniel in his dreams told that things are going to change. Ultimately, justice will be done. Verses 9 and 10 speak of the throne of God towering above the raging nations. In contrast to the fury and the aggression of the verses 1 to 8, here is a scene of calmness, of light, and final sovereignty. The Ancient of Days suggests wisdom, stability. The white clothes suggest purity and, and holiness. The flaming fire show a dynamic and all-sufficient God. The crowds suggest the majesty of His rule. The open books speak of judgment and justice. For the rule of the Ancient of Days is both good and final, verses 11 and 12. In the meantime, yes, there might be trouble and uncertainties for the people of God. But ultimately, through all the twists and turns, all through all the ups and downs, God reigns. 
And then in verses 13 and 14, a different figure appears. And while the four beasts in the first eight verses had come out of the, the, the dark and evil sea, this time the Son of Man, as He's called, comes from heaven. His rule is over all the world. He's a king with a kingdom. He comes from outside our world order, but He comes as like a Son of Man. He is linked with it. Now, Jesus often used this phrase, the Son of Man, verse 13 of Daniel 7. Jesus often used that phrase with reference to Himself. For this is who Jesus is. This is who the person is in these verses 13 and 14. Not just a prophet, not just a wise man, not just a leader, but a Savior. And again, the word is that our salvation does not come from within, does not lie within ourselves, but is given to us. It comes from beyond. And it comes to us, in the, as the gospel tells us in the New Testament, as the word becomes flesh, as the kingdom of God is established through Jesus, the Son of Man, Now, this is not to say that for Daniel in his time or for us and ours, that all difficulty and suffering are immediately removed. In fact, were we to read on further in Daniel chapter 7, we'd see that that's not the case. Verse 21, Daniel says, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. In verse 25, Again, opposition, and he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. There is going to be challenges. There are going to be sufferings. It's not that the tumult of verses 1 to 8 is going to be replaced by something ironic right away. Clearly, that wasn't the case. That's not what happened. But the gospel doesn't say that's what's happening. It pictures the ancient of days from his throne, from his position of calm and holiness, sending the Son of Man, verses 13 and 14, who will bring about salvation. And Advent is not simply a reminder that things come round year by year, some years better, some years like this one a lot worse. Rather, it's a reminder that God has stepped in, that God, as He has promised, has acted decisively to give a Savior and a salvation that we could never have found, never have reached, never have achieved for ourselves. The receiving Jesus, who was born at Bethlehem, is to receive the one who is King of Kings who having humbled himself, verses 6 to 8 of Philippians 2, is now a glorious Savior, verse 9 of Philippians 2. And that same Jesus will come again. The world is not going to ultimately be trampled and smashed by brutal, immoral regimes forever. A day will come when God will bring an end to the state war machines, to terrorist bombs, to totalitarian oppression, to the gas chambers, the death camps, the killing fields, and an end to pandemics too. There will be a judgment. There will be a time of ultimate justice and healing and renewal. For the salvation of God is not simply an improving of things here and there, making things a bit more bearable, 
but a final judgment and renewal. And it centers on the work of the Son of Man of Daniel 7. It centers around the work of Jesus and the place and honor given to Jesus as Savior. So, has He been given that place in your life? Have you recognized that here is one who not simply has come to us in humility and come alongside, but one who is also the Son of Man, pictured in Daniel 7, one who is also the ultimate Savior, one who is also the Lord of life? And have you made Him your Lord? In communion, when we take the bread and take the wine, it's an acknowledgement that Jesus is our Lord. It's an acknowledgement that the Jesus who has humbled himself, that the, the Jesus who comes to us in the ordinary things of life, such as bread and such as wine, that Jesus is ours and we are his. And so the taking of bread and wine is so much more significant. Its effects longer, longer lasting than a bite of chocolate and a sip of tea. Not because there's anything magic in these elements, but because in taking them, we are uniting ourselves to the one who, though he was equal with God, humbled himself and took the form of a servant, the nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Is that your God? Is that your Savior? You need to make sure that it is, for without it, all we have is the twos and throws, the ups and downs of all these beasts emerging from the sea and fighting this ideology, that ideology, this empire, those tanks. The passage in Daniel 7 and the words of Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 say, don't put your hopes elsewhere. Salvation will not be found in political movements and scientific discoveries and human philosophies. And ultimately, it will not be found in vaccines either. They can do good, these things. And they're to be welcomed. But they cannot save us from sin. They cannot save us from ourselves. And the renewal and restoration of the whole of creation comes through one given to us, the, the Son of Man who comes from beyond, but nevertheless is given to us and comes among us. A Savior from heaven, yes, but one who is intimately related to humanity and who now has been exalted, went back in that higher place. There's the confidence that the gospel gives. That the Lord, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, will overcome. Advent 2020 is not easy. The year has not been easy. But Christmas, of course, is not cancelled. Christ has not been removed from the highest place. He is still above all else and finally will bring the ultimate salvation and healing when He returns. And Advent is not simply a call to hang on in there, but to live in the light of following a Savior who humbled Himself, and so too must we humble ourselves and serve. 
but also to live in the light of following that Savior who not only humbled himself, who has, but who has been raised victorious and will come again and will gather up all his people and reign with them forever. Is that your hope? That beyond maybe getting a vaccine, beyond maybe getting back to doing this and doing that, beyond maybe getting a wee bit more certainty, Actually, with what we trust, or rather the one that we trust, is one with whom there is no uncertainty. Because no matter how low he stooped, therefore, verse 9, God exalted him. Such a Savior is worthy of all our trust. Let us pray. Gracious God, it can be really hard in the ups and downs, the twists and turns of life to, to trust. Things happen that we don't understand. Things happen that we don't like to see. Things happen that we don't want. And yet your word has told us that that would be the case. And just because in these later verses in Daniel 7 and verses 21 and 25, just because there was trouble being meted out to God's holy people, it did not mean that God had given up. It did not mean that God had failed. And years later, the Son of Man did come. And so today, even when we struggle, even when there are challenges, even when there are trials, it does not mean that you've given up. It does not mean that you're not with us and Christ will come again. So help us to know that in and through Jesus, there's always more. There's better yet to come. And might that give us some energy and enthusiasm in living for you day by day. Amen.